0: Welcome back to the More Than Miscellaneous podcast. I'm Alex Barnard, the Miscellany News' audio editor. This week, Sasha and Izzy discuss a wide range of topics covered in the latest issue of the MISC with Editor-in-Chief Mac Liederman, including campus safety, nude modeling, and the conditions in Poughkeepsie Public Schools.
1: So let's just jump on in and um, start talking about the issue in general. I guess we can start with the news section. Um, We have Mac here again um, to open it up. Um, Is there any um, articles you'd like to highlight right off the bat?
0: Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me back on. Um, I guess we're here to talk about the miscellaneous news for yet another week. Um, so I think, uh, where, where should we open, Sasha? I, this was just a strong edition of the paper. Yeah, around this was the, I don't know where this starts. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer that one
2: to you. <laughs> Honestly, I think this was, we talked about this. I think this is really one of the strongest papers this semester. Um, there were so many great articles, so many long features, um, a lot of experimentation, like we mentioned with Veterans Voices. Um, but I think one of the... Um, most important issues on campus right now uh, is safety. I think it's something that's been a sudden shift in the campus climate um, in the past few weeks. And so um, the issue that came out happened, this issue came out right after the Halloween crimes that took place um, or like the string of Hall- like string of crimes that took place mm-hmm. um, that from like the day before Halloween to like a little bit after in, like a space of like 24 to 36 hours and Mac wrote that article talking about it and I think it's really important to highlight because um Yeah, it's something that really shook the Vassar community in a lot of ways so I think it would be really important to highlight that and just delve into what you wrote about.
0: Uh, Yeah for sure Um, that was definitely a tough piece to pull off first of all especially given the kind of hyperspeed timeline we had to write on it given how all these events seem to happen in a flurry around Halloween day so um this piece required a lot of sourcing talking to a lot of different people making sure you get the story right because there are a lot of sensitive factors at play. A lot of people who want to keep their privacy, especially the victims of the armed burglary that happened. So, um, a lot of fact checking, a lot of work. Um, the whole team really had to contribute to that article. But I'm glad we were able to get it out. Um, so, kind of just to set the scene. It's uh, Halloween night around midnight, and um, one of the first incidents was uh, Zemir Brenback, who's a senior here at Vassar, uh was in I was in his room in his house with his uh, housemate and. They weren't going out that night, it was a Friday night, but um, they decided to get festive anyway and put on their Halloween onesies. So, um, (laughs) one of the housemates had a dragon one, one of them had a monkey one. Zamir was ready to go to sleep, um, went to sleep, was in his bed, um, suddenly awoke at 2.30 a.m. to find a man wearing all black, uh, black hoodie, black pants, just loitering in his bedroom by the dresser. Um, Zamir, like, asked him who he was, what he was doing there. Uh, the man, um, seemed very, uh, or kind of indifferent to the situation, not really spooked, but, um, said he was really high. So, uh, Zamir asked him to, like, empty out the contents of his bag. He did, didn't steal anything. When he was asked to leave, the man immediately left. Which is, uh, for so Halloween, scary. quite, quite sc- yeah. scary, yeah. <sighs> um, so I think Zamir was just shell-shocked to the point where he took almost all day to report that incident. Um, but what he didn't know is that later that day, around, uh, At 10.30 a.m., Mojan Free and another senior in the townhouses uh, found an elderly white man just sitting on her couch um, in the living room. She asked him what he was doing there, and he said that he was waiting for his daughter, uh, who was changing the bathroom. Um, But when asked what his daughter's name was, the man um, gave a name for someone who lived nowhere near the proximity is the name of no one in the general area there. Um, So he also left peacefully. Uh, Both instances are obviously the result of unlocked doors uh, of people just walking into the houses. Um, The townhouses, for those who don't know, are relatively situated off Basser's campus. Mm -hmm. So, um, kind of connecting um, the larger community with Basser right off the highway there um, near Raymond Avenue, Um, they are considered technically off campus, where other senior housing like the Terrence Apartments are more kind of situated within the central nook of campus and are part of the campus. And um, we do have an open campus well, as well. There's no um, guards or um, checkpoints by any of the doors. So really, um, anyone can walk on the campus or kind of walk throughout the campus given um, this kind of culture we have of students having unlocked doors. Uh, so these two first two incidents happened. There was a third incident of a girl in noise, um, college-aged female, walking into rooms um, while people were sleeping. Um, and then finally, um, at night, um, this uh, story kind of, rocked the local area. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it already. But um, two men um, in masks um, went into a townhouse and um, one of them was armed. Uh, They went in there and they um, uh, bound the two students and proceeded to search the house and uh, then uh, fled the scene. And um, there are no suspects of what I heard. This is an ongoing investigation, an unsolved crime, but really um, a tough uh, 24-ish hours for Vassar College and I think the campus has kind of been reeling from these instances ever since.
2: Yeah, I think um, something that's been important is that um, a lot of the administrators, including President Bradley and a lot of other people, have put out several safety measures in response um, and have tried to ensure that um, like the Vassar community feels safe at this time. So um, like I think that's pretty commendable, but it, at the same time, um, I know that a lot of students have mixed reactions. A lot yeah. of students are like, shouldn't have those safety measures been in place always? Why is it that something really bad has to happen for them to be in place? And I think there are generally a lot of rumors floating around that um, around the campus about what happened. I think it's just generally been a point of contention, um, like yeah. this burglary. So, yeah.
1: um, there was a t- statistic I think you had in your article, Matt, um, about um, the... Um, like the safety or like the perception of safety for students. Um, I think that you cited it it was like 30% or something feel unsafe, was that correct or?
0: Yeah, we did a very unscientific poll of um, one of our reporters kind of posting up in the library and asking 101 students um, what they felt about safety Uh, on campus. And the question was phrased as, do you feel safe on campus right now? And uh, 28.7% of respondents uh, answered no. Oh,
1: wow, okay. Yeah, and a lot of people also feel like safety and security isn't really doing enough, right?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, um, too, uh this is according to President Bat- Bradley, but um, um, she obviously comes from a public health background, mm-hmm. and this is kind of tangentially related to her work, like safety on a large campus like this. And um, she says stronger deterrence method- methods, like maybe um, ID checkpoints or uh, security outposts would be um, largely unaffected as a deterrent. Mm -hmm. So um, according to her, um, in kind of the knee-jerk stages after uh, such terrifying instances happen on our campus, um, people can be kind of quick to uh, jump for the calls for Mm -hmm. kind of all-out security. Um, She says uh, methods that um, are more effective include increased lighting, as has been seen as a very Mm -hmm. uh, viable deterrent for crime. So her and uh, Safety and Security Director, Director Arlene Sabo and a whole Security Task Force are planning on implementing both long-term and short-term plans to increase the lighting around the townhouses. Mm -hmm. So that's just a start. Um, We did have quotes from uh, anonymous uh, sources, uh, people inside the THs, who said they would like to see more um, security, as opposed to the unarmed guards, who uh, kind of have been patrolling the outside since the incident, um, are largely a reactionary force. Mm -hmm. Their job is simply to spot incidences and call the um, Poughkeepsie police rather than Actually, uh, break them up themselves.
1: I see. All right, interesting. Okay. Well, I'm glad that there's been a larger effort to, um, you know, put more safety and security out there. Um, even if some people are a little skeptical of how much um, this will help, I think just an increased emphasis on this and um, seeing what happens as time goes on. Um, will be great to see how, or will be great for the campus.
0: Um, yeah. And I think it's yeah. worth noting, um, we, maybe Vassar hasn't seen kind of a flurry of instances all in short-term succession like this in recent history, but um, there is precedent for these types of instances on our campus, unfortunately. Um, when Vassar was a closed campus, meaning that we had um, security around the perimeter of the college, um, it wasn't simply just walk on, walk off like mm-hmm. it is right now. Um, there was another armed uh, b- robbery outside of Chicago Hall in 2005 in which um, two men in baggy clothes came and um, lined up Vassar students against the wall execution style and um, stole some of their things. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, as President Bradley said, um, there's kind of mixed results uh, scientifically, whether um, increased security precautions are uh, right. even effective. right. But um, I think this raises larger questions about um, not just Vassar's campus, but campuses similar to us and exactly how safe we are and how easy it is to really infiltrate the bubble no matter which way you slice it.
1: Right. Good point. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for um, talking about your article and um, these obviously pressing issues on campus currently. Um, is there anything else you would like to talk about in maybe the front page or the news section this week?
0: I know that's not really a light way to start your Monday (laughs) morning, so (laughs) maybe we should uh, flip the coin a little bit here, Sasha, and find something that might be a little bit more uh, lighthearted and fun to talk about.
2: (laughs) Okay, um, yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. We can always come back to news later because there are some super strong news pieces that I think it would be really great to talk Mm. about. Um... But let's see. Oh, um, Izzy, I think you mentioned that there was a piece in features about nude modeling that you yes. really you had some <laughs> thoughts on, um, if yes, you want to delve into I it.
1: I was reading this last night, and I was taken aback by how beautifully written it was. Um, one of our reporters, I believe it was Hinley Wang, um, wrote an article about nude modeling on campus where she interviewed a nude model for um one of the art classes here um and just kind of got his perspective on or like how he got involved in it and then his perspective on like larger themes of like self-acceptance and body image um and it was just very beautifully written um and very intimate i had to say um i had well i thought um um and there was an interesting point that henley brought up where she talked about uh, the distinction between being nude and being naked um i've wanted to read up one passage or one line that she had um yeah so she wrote for ben he went from accepting the job to undressing to confronting the self-conscious instinct to cover up to eventually owning his nudity. He started naked, a body without clothing, then became nude, more confident of his body as presented. Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting distinction between those like two, me- two um, the meanings of those two words, um, and kind of a beautiful way to put it. Um, it the way she wrote the article was kind of like. Um, from, like, this beginning point where Ben was, Ben is the, was, the, is the new nude model, um, where he was kind of just, like, coming into himself and coming into, like, this acceptance of his body and, um, just, you know, observing the different takes people had on, like, drawing him and, like, learning from that and, like, seeing his, seeing his own self from, like, a different perspective, um, which was really just beautiful to, like, read about, um, and very interesting, very quirky to have in the paper.
2: <laughs> I also thought, just like, um, the like with the perspective that Hindley is writing from because she's an art student and so she's kind of writing from the perspective of the sketcher and then she's trying to like combine those perspectives mm-hmm. and talk about what um what Ben's experiences as from the perspective of a model so I think it's a, like there's really cool lines in mm-hmm. here where she sort of talks about that relationship between the sitter and the sketcher mm-hmm. um and what that means and how it is like a very like weirdly intimate thing, mm-hmm. um, but eventually like there is like the sense of acceptance that goes into it because um, yeah, I think that was just like a very interesting piece. Um, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's funny because when I actually um this was an article I pitched. Do so you ever know when you're just like sitting on your couch and kind of like a random idea pops into your brain? Yes. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> oh, um, we do have this work study position where students um stand in front of art classes and pose news, uh, nude, I wonder what that experience must be like, mm-hmm. um, especially as something <laughs> I would never probably do personally. And um, I admire the bravery um, of anyone who actually does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I pitched this article to Duncan News, our features writer, thinking that we would um, receive a piece that was a little bit more whimsical and lighthearted in nature. So I was kind of really interested in the way to see this one turned mm-hmm. out, um, the different type of angle. Henley took um, more from her background as an art writer. Um, seeing the um, naked model more mm. as a muse rather than something to report on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was really interesting. Um, I think you guys kind of covered um, pretty much everything else that there is to it, but definitely worth a read if um, this is a subject that uh, piques your interest for one reason or another.
2: <laughs> totally, mm-hmm. totally. Mac, you also mentioned earlier this week in like a missed meeting that you thought Diana's article on school districts was one of the best ones in the paper. And um, that it just like you found it super interesting. Do you want to speak
0: to that at all? Yeah, definitely. Um, Another really strong research week from Tiana. I'm truly impressed the way she's able to turn around uh, such detailed articles in our weekly uh, timeline. Um, This article uh, was about largely about the disparities between Poughkeepsie and Spat and Kill schools, especially among um, racial diversity uh, lines. Um, So these two schools are very segregated. There is a very large achievement gap uh, between the two, Um, one that still continues to this day, um, stemming from its history of segregation. Um, It's really hard for me kind of to pull out the details of the story, given how long it is, Mm -hmm. and I didn't read it a week ago. Um, But generally, um, I think that's how I would speak to it. Uh, The title is A Tale of Two Districts, which kind of Mm -hmm. tells the entire story. And we actually had um, a reporter, uh, Anna Khan, and a photographer, Alexis Cerritos, Uh, walk around one of the schools and really get lovely pictures to kind of color in and accompany uh, Tiana's piece. And I think it's important to note about the uh, Poughkeepsie school districts is um, the town and city of Poughkeepsie, uh, their students are not underperforming um, based on who they actually are as students, but more based on these continued kind of disparities and resources between the two schools. So I think if we're going to do more of a fair retelling and have a fair understanding of what exactly um, schooling looks like in our nearby area? Um, reading Tiana's article is a very good place to start.
1: Totally, absolutely, it was incredibly well reported on. Um, she talked to a lot of students, and I believe she talked to someone on like the city council or um, like the school district, like council, um, about like the disparities. Um, there was also a really interesting point that she brought up about. Um, how at one point, um, there was an initiative to start an all-black college in Poughkeepsie, but interestingly enough, um, with a rising anti-segregation movement, um, there was kind of less of a push to create, um, like, independent black schools and, like, more of a push to, Um, like desegregate schools which was kind of an interesting and like complex point Um, So like in this push for equality, there was actually um, This idea for a black college was uh, dismantled which I thought was like um, a wild situation, but incredible that she was able to like um, Talk to some people and you know find out about the history of that
0: Yeah, totally Um i mean i'm not surprised there was a push for an independent Mm -hmm. black school given um you know as again this this disparity of resources Mm -hmm. and uh Mm -hmm. kind of this air of white supremacy Mm -hmm. that continues to hover over both institutions so i think there's definitely a um, a place for black schooling especially Mm -hmm. in um higher education at the historically black Mm -hmm. uh, colleges and universities but um i really think when it comes to this is just my personal opinion but when it comes to public schooling this is an area we really need to Invests into um, reap the benefits of true equality and true um, uh, desegregation and kind of the pooling of resources and we really mm. truly are, um, you know, how far out past the civil rights acts and the desegregation of schools we're mm-hmm. really still very far away from mm-hmm. that.
1: That's a true point. Yeah, yeah. It's not just here; it's all across the nation. Which, so um, yeah, a systemic issue. So. Yeah, and yeah. These, yeah, absolutely.
0: These details. Um, I mean, at the beginning of Tiana's article of what exactly some inside some of these schools look. Um, bathrooms out of service for months. The sole safe water fountain in the entire high school. Toilets clogged with sanitary nap- napkins. Yeah. Um, undertrained, overassertive teachers. Um, being very authoritative in classroom. Really high um skip rates. Uh, truancy. Um, mm-hmm. mismanaged funds. Um, but at the same time, Tian does a really nice job of flipping the coin in that intro and showing um, kind of all the results that led to this type of situation and the um, students who are actually struggling against the system to create opportunities for themselves. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these are all direct results of, you know, cash-strapped school districts with teachers and administrators doing their best with what they have in a high-poverty mm-hmm. city. And this is kind of a paradigm we see manifested all across the country.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, well, that's another sad note I have to say. (laughs) Um, But yeah, is there anything else either of you thought was worthy of highlighting? I know the art section had a wonderful spread, this um, this issue again, um, with a TV review, TV show review, a movie review on The Lighthouse, um, and then a feature on um, a student at Vassar who um, has a really cool secret talent of um painting
0: um yeah i think we should talk about sasha in the little time we have left um, maybe we should talk about lebanon but uh before we do that oh, i yeah. just want to do a quick shout out because we never talk about sports so let's talk about sports oh
1: and yeah
0: i and love sports. sports and um we don't really do vaster news much on this podcast in relation to sports either so just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Vassar field hockey player Monica Feely, mm. who was a graduate last year and was a finalist for the NCAA Woman of the Year. Imagine being named the Woman of the Year in any sort of category <laughs> like that's truly amazing. Like I can't yeah. imagine being like the Man of the Year at like anything. <laughs> <laughs> so being the Woman of the Year of something like is quite impressive. And yeah, Feely, like, <laughs> oh, you, you want to? Use no, no, I was
2: just like, it's incredible. Like it's such a huge achievement, and it's so cool that. Like she goes to Vassal.
0: That's just yeah, that incredible. Like it's such a huge achievement. But yeah. So um, see um, how the Woman of the Year World Award works is that um, uh, finalists from all three NCAA divisions are picked uh, based on athletic performance, community service, and mm-hmm. um, kind of the uh, their testaments of sportsmanship. And Feely truly uh checks all those boxes. She was an All-American field hockey player here last year as a senior, uh, really a star defender that helped uh, the Vassar field hockey team win their first Liberty League title um, in recent memory. Or I think of of all time, their first Liberty League championship of all time. Um, And she um, has kind of a robust community service um, record, so all that led to her flying out to Indianapolis to accept her award as the top nine finalists for Women of the Year.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
0: uh, shouts out to Monica for uh, putting Vassar on the map.
2: Great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right.
1: Um, yeah, and then did we want to just talk briefly about yeah. um, another front-page article? Um, one of our reporters, uh, Rayon Elamine, um wrote about the revolution currently happening in Lebanon and um, this was a really cool article especially because there's a not a lot of English coverage um, about what's going on in Lebanon right now and um, the way he wrote it was very um, poetic um, he talked about the like how it started and then kind of um, what described like the nature of the revolution um, in a really beautiful way, I think he mentioned that it was kind of more of like a celebration, um, in ways, than like this um, like mass of like hate and violence, which I thought was really interesting. Um, yeah, is there anything else you guys wanted to?
2: Yeah, um, I think one thing that really stood out to me is that Jayan really um, highlighted how this revolution is. Um, driven by the youth of Lebanon Mm -hmm. and he specifically felt like a really big connection to the movement as a young person who who grew up in Lebanon and like how there's this huge generational divide Um, so I thought that was really interesting also I think um, the revolution is related to Um, attacks on whatsapp data prices so there was um, a a move basically by the like the Minister of Telecommunications in Lebanon to impose um, a 20% increase on data prices of all calls used Mm -hmm. through whatsapp all calls made through whatsapp which um, would really adversely affect a lot of agricultural workers in Lebanon Um, and generally a lot of Lebanese laborers and Syrian immigrants. So I thought that it was really important for Ryan to highlight um, like what that kind of tax means for the working class in Lebanon and um, what that activism means for like Lebanese youth. So I think he just like did such a great job mm-hmm. of highlighting that and it's like it's incredible that there isn't that much English coverage and he really ma- managed mm-hmm. to take a really big step in like news reporting mm-hmm. um, and international news reporting. So.
0: Yeah, um, I'm really confused why there hasn't been much more English coverage of this. Um, I feel like just kind of as a general dynamic, um, the United States tends to only care about Middle Eastern issues if it in some way affects their own foreign policy or kind of pin down um, the world, the U.S. president for some sort of failed leadership or failed foreign policy. So stories outside of that really um, don't really receive much coverage in my estimation. And inside Lebanon, this can be particularly problematic, given that the government has since shut down um, all communications and all media related to the protests. Mm-hmm. So I think it really just makes a statement, um, the fact that we have Rayon here on campus being able to tell the story from both a personal and a privileged vantage point, um, mm-hmm. using mm-hmm. his sources inside the country to bring that to all of our attention. And I hope this is just the beginning of continued coverage of this topic uh, throughout the US because these protests are a really big deal.
1: Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great. It looks like we're out of time.
0: And that's all that we have for today. Be sure to tune in live to the More Than Miscellaneous talk show, airing every Monday at noon on WVKR 91.3 FM.